to the Theology Doesn't Suck podcast. My name is Andy Herman, and with me is my co-host, Josh Patterson. How's it going, Josh? I'm pretty good, man. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, I'm excited. I, I hear you have some animals in the background with us today. Yeah, um, many apologies. What? That's Katara. She sounds vicious. She's a 85-pound pit bull, but uh, she's a baby. She's a baby. Ah. Yeah, she's... She's barking at somebody outside. She should stop. She was just mm-hmm. sleeping. I don't know what happened. So I apologize. That's what happens with dogs. Josh, I see that you're in a an unusual recording space for you today. Yeah, so I am. I'm recording from my kitchen table <laughs> rather than my <laughs> prestigious guest room recording studio. Very prestigious, uh, yeah. That I normally use. Yeah, we uh, actually, Noelle's mom and aunt are visiting us. Uh, they drove here from Maryland, and they got in last night, and so they're going to be here with us until Tuesday. So that's it's a lot of fun. They're cool people. They're actually out to dinner right now uh, while we get to have fun podcasting. Nice. Awesome. From Maryland? That's a long drive down to you guys. How long does that take? Uh, I don't even know, like 18 or 19 hours-ish. They did it in, in two days, though. They stopped Okay. Uh, in North Carolina. And then, okay, yeah, so they, they broke it up. But when I moved here, when Noel and I moved here, we drove, and we drove straight through. We oh, wow. very early that's... in the morning, and we got here late at night. That's pretty brutal, man. Dude, and we never once met our landlord or saw the house that we were going to be moving into. <laughs> you didn't meet, you never met your landlord? No, not in person. Did you, did you meet your landlord later on, or like never, ever? Oh no no! I met him later on, but like I'm okay. saying, I didn't I didn't meet <laughs> him prior moved. to moving in. Like, right? Okay. So it was kind of sketchy because we could have been like catfished or whatever. That's that's but, actually uh, what happened when when my wife and I moved to Maryland. Uh, we I don't know why I said my wife. You know her name is Tamara. Um, <laughs> my wife. But my wife. Uh, anyway, when we moved to Maryland, we we just found our little like basement apartment on Craigslist and hoped for the best. <laughs> hmm. But, you know, sometimes that works. Yeah, luckily, I mean, it worked out for us. Jim was a super cool landlord, and uh, he wasn't sketchy at all. He didn't try to kill us. There wasn't, you know, an obscene amount of drugs in the house or anything like that. All positives. That's good. Those are all good things to not have. Um, so, what else is going on with you this week, Josh? What's new? Not too much, man. Like, I'm, I mean, honestly, I'm kind of tired. I helped my buddy Chad move today. Um, mm. so it was just him and I, and I got up early, went and helped him move, but that was a lot of fun. And then we had a soccer game, the team that I coach. Uh, so we went to that and that was cool. And right now I'm secretly looking at my phone, eagerly anticipating the, uh, the start of the Caps game tonight. Do you know who they're playing oh, yeah. by any chance? Oh, I know who they're playing, Josh. The best team in the NHL, the Colorado they're, Avalanche. So they're playing themselves. That's weird. Wow. Uh, I don't know, Josh. If you look at performance this year, the Caps aren't the best team in the NHL. That is true. However, <laughs> they they do have a better record than they did this time last year. And they won the Stanley Cup last year, so just saying. Really? Well, I didn't know yeah. that, actually. Yeah, you they, know they had a pretty slow start. Pretty slow start last year. It is mm-hmm. It is kind of unfortunate that the the abs were looking amazing to start the year and then we went on like a five game losing streak which really Typical. hurt our record man it was yeah it was but, sad. but your top line is like 
producing a ridiculous amount of points. Like it's crazy. Yeah. Like there, I saw yeah, a thing. True. I well, uh, they had more points than like some entire teams in the league. I did not hear anything you just said. Oh, I, <laughs> I said they had some more points than some of uh, the entire teams in the league. Like, your top line has more points than some teams do, which is crazy. Hmm. I, I, that is kind of crazy, actually. We do. We have a very, we have a very special guest with us, and since he is... Your friend from the past will let you introduce him. Sweet. All right. So uh, today with us, we have the prestigious Matthew Von Herbulus, <laughs> who uh, he told me he came here on a horse with trumpets and it was crazy. So <laughs> Matt's a super cool dude. Uh, I met Matt, jeez, uh, I guess like four or five years ago, six years ago. Uh, actually, I met his wife first, his wife Carly. I met her doing this youth retreat called Chrysalis. Uh, she was on the worship team. And she sings, and so I got to play some music with her. And then uh, through that, I met Matt, and I did some youth ministry with Matt. Uh, I'm pretty sure I've played music with Matt before. Um, and so he's super cool dude, and I'm excited to have him on today. Awesome. Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's good to be here. I should say I'm in. I'm in a, a traveling season for my life right now, so I'm listening to a lot of podcasts, and I have not heard the podcast that does not have a very special guest on it. So when you call me a very <laughs> special guest, I'm just counting myself in the ranks of all the other guests on all the other podcasts well, ever. Okay, well let's <laughs> say let's say you're a super <laughs> duper special guest. Then Ooh, put you a well, that one I have not a heard. notch above the rest. All let's, right, I'm so honored. Thank you guys. It's great to welcome. be here. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you. We're excited to have you on tonight. So, uh, just to start out, I think I think we would love to just start by hearing hearing about your ministry, how how you got into what you're doing now, what you are doing now, and and all that good stuff. So, if you just want to kind of take us back as far as you think is appropriate, we'd love to just hear some <laughs> hear some background of of who you are and what you do. Sure. Well, I'll try to just take it back as far as is possibly relevant to what we're talking. So, um, today we are we are recording from South Florida, not too far from where I went to university at Palm Beach Atlantic. Uh, I grew up in I grew up in Florida in the Orlando area, Sanford, for those of y'all who know it, and went to university down here for uh, for cross cultural studies and Bible. I've wanted to be a missionary since I was eleven years old. That's really been my single single aim so that's what I went to university for and I guess ultimately has is uh, has got something to do with why I'm here tonight for the last two and a half years my family and I we've been living and serving in Rwanda in East Africa where we've started a ministry called sowers of hope uh, that is an agri-faith association we work with farmers uh, Christian farmers in the rural churches equipping them f- for ministry to do their agriculture as as a ministry so that's what we're up to and uh, we're back in the states for this month really uh, to meet with churches and supporters and share our stories as well as I was presenting at a conference and uh, and visiting friends and hopefully hopefully in the midst of this month there will be a moment to sit down and catch our breaths before heading (laughs) back into back into the ministry yeah awesome very awesome so 
how long have you been doing ministry in Rwanda for? So we moved over there two and a half years ago, uh, and that's so yeah, that's really where it is. the The ministry that I mean, the ministry that we started, the response uh, that we had really launched a year and a half ago. We're about eighteen months into the program. Okay. And mm-hmm. and could you tell us a little bit about that program and what you guys do, kind of on a day to day basis there? Yeah, um, I mean, day to day, it is Africa, so there's not <laughs> routines are a bit harder to come by. Okay. Um, I don't know. Maybe nobody has routines. I don't know. It's been tough for us to find routines for sure. Um, what we do <clears throat> to tell a bit of the story. So I, I. I Ended up studying sustainable agriculture for Christian missions at an what well, interning for this. So this was all post university, and uh, while I was there, received a call from my my friend Pastor Brandon. He's become my friend now. We we didn't really know each other at the time, uh, inviting me to come in and start an agriculture program with the church there. So he was an Anglican pastor working with the church in Rwanda, really particularly developing out the rural churches as part of his ministry there. And that started by starting a uh, a preschool initiative in inviting the rural churches to open their doors during the week to receive students for preschool. Uh, that was followed really quickly by a nutrition program, recognizing that most of the students coming, or a lot of the students coming, were suffering from malnutrition, and uh, we're trying, they're trying to learn but literally aren't getting the nutrition that they need for their brains to develop properly. And so they started a school feeding program, but uh, Pastor Brandon recognized that as definitely an aid or a, um, a relief solution <clears throat> that met the immediate need but was not a, not a long-term or development solution. And so he had the idea of, of working towards the development and sustainability of the program by investing in agriculture simultaneously. So that's, that's what inspired him to call me. And, uh, and the call was really, it was pretty vague. It was pretty open-ended when I came. It was come and invest in our farmers for a solution to the, the problem of malnutrition in children in our villages. Wow, that's awesome. And so what does that look like? You said you're only about a year and a half into it really, right? Uh, but mm-hmm. what, what does it look like so far? Like what, what kind of work have you been doing as you've been starting to try to invest in these farmers? Yeah, so that's what's relevant to this podcast and why I was really excited to get invited on here. Um, if you open up our, our brochure explaining our ministry, the first two words that you're going to see really big inside are the words theology matters. What we, what we assessed in our, our first year there was that while the land was depleted, it was certainly capable of producing and bouncing back quickly. Um, and contrary to what seemed to be a popular opinion, Rwandan farmers are quite smart and they're capable of the innovations necessary to farm the land well. So we assessed the need as actually more of a, a cultural deficit um, associated with a shame and a fatalism that, that farmers carry in their work. And working with Christian farmers in the church, for me, that was a theological problem. Uh, that theological problem, namely being that if you believe that the gospel is just that Jesus came so that we could go to heaven after we die, then farming really doesn't matter. Um, and the only work in the community that matters is that of the pastor, the work of getting people saved. Um, and, and I associated that with being the root of the shame and the fatalism with their daily work. And so we came in saying a theological problem needs a theological response. And so... We, what we do is we teach agriculture as a ministry, and I'll be happy to get into more detail what that looks like. But namely, we're addressing a, a, a dualism inherent in that kind of gospel and instead teaching uh, that if the gospel is instead that that God is working through Jesus to restore right relationship between all of creation, between himself, people, and 
and the land or the environment and that people or the church are, are called to have a, a role in that, to be active participants in the gospel, then farming is actually of the utmost importance, is actually a really important ministry of the church. Um, and even if you're not a farmer, caring for the land, being aware of, of place and and having a theology of anthropology, who are humans in creation, um, in God's eyes, that that was, that that creates dignity to the work and builds an importance into it. So then after that, the, the techniques, the answers, the materials, all of that stuff is, is second. We really work with farmers to lay that, that foundation, that theological foundation necessary to, uh, to take the work seriously and to engage in it as an act of worship as part of their, their call as believers. Hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah, so, so this whole idea that really our theology affects how we live our day-to-day lives it sounds like it was really important for, for what you're doing there right now, right? Would you say that's a good way to sum up that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that's, what, that's one of the things that makes our work really unique is that we're, I'm doing, it is agriculture development. Like that's a fair thing to say. And it's fair to say I'm doing agricultural training, but that is all kind of surface level underneath it all. And the most important thing that we're doing is restoring dignity to farming by correcting the theology necessary to, uh, for farmers to recognize their work as, as ministry. Hmm. That's very cool. Yeah, Andy, that actually kind of reminds me back to uh, that episode we did, you know, a few episodes back when we did that book, Kingdom Conspiracy. Yeah. And we were trying to think about practical, uh, you know, applications for that episode. I think Matt has kind of hit the nail right on the head because he uh, is working within the church, which is kind of what McKnight was saying is kingdom work, is it has to stem from... Uh, church people, but he's working within the church with other Christians um, and applying theology practically, you know, to their lives, but in in a super practical means, you know, with farming. So I think that's really cool. And I think uh, that's a great example of of kind of a practical application of what we're uh, talking about in that episode. Yeah, I think think that is true. That's a good good way of of summing that up and connecting that back. So... If if you don't mind, Matt, I would be I would really love to hear a little more about when you're talking about these these problems of fear and shame uh, among are the are you are you saying these are mostly among like farmers in Rwanda who are already believers or are these like broader issues in the culture there? Um. Well, so it's worth noting that in Rwanda, pretty much everybody are farmers. In the rural area where we're working, they're they're all farmers. There's ninety percent of the okay. population in the village are they're yeah. farmers. Um, that said, they won't they don't call themselves farmers. Not inherently. If you ask them what they do, they'll they'll just say that they're unemployed because um, they're subsistence farmers. So they're trying to survive off of their little bit of land. Um, so they don't see that as an occupation, much less as as a ministry. But the the shame and the fatalism connected to farming really just has to do with um, rural living in general or anything representing the the past as Rwanda develops really quickly. The future, as people see it, is in industrialization, westernization, um, and and getting off of the farm, this move towards the city, towards tourism and technology. So farmers represent the bottom of, of society. And I got to, I came to start thinking that this might be the case from this one, this one phrase that I kept hearing. Um, there's a phrase you hear, like, if you're in the market, haggling for something they'll say man if i sell it to you for that i'll have to go back to the hoe you hear this expression a lot back to the hoe 
a business person might threaten with that, say, I'll take you back to the hoe. Um, and so I thought, what kind of technology or what kind of information could I bring to farmers that's going to make any difference if they are being told by the community, told by the culture around them that their work doesn't matter, that their their real objective should be to get away from their lifestyle. Yeah, that's really good. So, and just out of curiosity, I don't, I don't know, and I would imagine most of our listeners don't know, what's like the percentage of Christians in Rwanda as non-Christians? Yeah, so Rwanda is predominantly a Christian okay. country. I don't uh, know the exact demographics, but it's I mean it's probably nearly ninety percent that would, would okay. call themselves. And Christian. of those, would you say that most are like even like in the theological sense, not the political sense, obviously that we would associate it with in America, but are like evangelical, believe the gospel, have a high view of scripture, things like that. Um, I'm not sure how to answer that. I mean, it is. There's still, there's a large, I don't know, there's a, a, a split between Protestant and okay. Catholic. I'm not sure about where that would fall, but there's, um, are a, a lot of both. It's, it's not, there's not one that's clearly okay. dominant. Um, and yeah, in the village, like I said, the pastor, it seems to me the pastor is, is the really high authority. A lot of people are illiterate that we work with. So their view of scripture is probably not super thought out. In fact, they're, they're, um. Their articulated theology is probably not going to be much at all. You get a picture of their theology. I would argue like you get a picture of anybody's theology by looking at yeah. how they live their lives. And and that honestly, as much as you might might think it's illiteracy or something else like that, when you look at the average believer in America today, their theology isn't probably all that thought out either. So in that way, I think there's probably some similarity there in that uh, it's kind of a constant struggle to get believers to engage and think about these things more critically no matter where you are yeah well and that's i mean the truth is everybody's doing theology constantly uh part of it is a need to redefine what theology is i remember my mind being blown (laughs) when uh my professor called jesus a theologian and talked about how jesus did theology um you know if we really look at it jesus spent a whole lot of time talking about farming (laughs) um so <clears throat> that's my kind of theology these days and uh and so yeah our farmers as you get to it like they have a theology everybody has has a theology there certainly is a need for for all believers to engage and pursue god pursue the holy spirit with their minds more and maybe be intentional more intentional about developing their thoughts and then developing a life that's consistent with it but um they certainly have they certainly have yeah a theology. absolutely that's one of my old professors used to always say, everyone's a theologian, you're just either a bad one or a good one. <laughs> yeah. I think that's fair. So that's I, would, I think uh, one of the things we'd love to hear a little more about too is maybe uh, as you're addressing these problems, you kind of touched on it. You, you talked about having kind of a bigger vision of what the gospel is and how God is restoring all things. Um, but the way that you're addressing these problems, the kind of theology that you're bringing to these farmers and what you're trying to what you're trying to teach them to help them kind of expand their view of what God is doing in the world. Uh, what would you say are some like the core truths that you need to, that you're trying to get across to them on an, on the day to day? Yeah. Um, I think really just expounding on, <clears throat> on what I was saying earlier, the, uh, the fact that the gospel is, and that God is concerned about the restoration of all of, creation that it matters here in Mm -hmm. this world is my is what underlies 
everything that we've built the curriculum and our program to teach. And it's the same message that I have coming back in the States. Uh, and it's personal for me. I, um, I've grown up in the church. Uh, I've, in fact, been like a very faithful Christian by most definitions. I've taken it very seriously, led the campus ministries. I was voted, I got the senior superlative for like most moral or something <laughs> nice. in high school. Uh, I, I've always been this kid. And like I said, I wanted to be a missionary since I was 11 years old. Um, but my faith journey, as we all have these journeys with ups and downs, um, or I don't even know if we want to call them ups and downs until we get a full hindsight on them. Um, I went through a season when I first got introduced to to the kind of school of agriculture that I ascribed to. I wasn't, I didn't study agriculture in university. This wasn't my my direction. I had a friend introduce me to uh, agriculture, this particular field of agriculture called permaculture, where you mimic the, the natural world. And uh, I didn't understand it. I wasn't very interested in it. But a friend of mine was leaving this, what I thought was this really beautiful ministry to go out in the woods and, and develop a, a farm, you like mimicking nature and trying to connect in this way. And the more he explained it to me, the less I understood what he was talking about or, or why he would want to do it. And so he pointed me to some some books that were really like science books. Like this was ecology and environmental science. And I just started devouring this stuff as a whole, like as a whole new set of scriptures. Um, the, theologically, you talk about two different books. Um, like there's the book of scripture and the book of nature, both as avenues of, of perceiving God. And uh, I opened up the book of, of nature for the first time in my life, in my, uh, in my mid-20s, mid-early 20s, really. And this just set me on this whole journey where I started reading these ecology textbooks like in my quiet time. Uh, and that led me to then start keeping a garden. But again, as, a, as really more of a devotional practice, I was connecting with God in the, in the physical world, in the material world, which was a brand new thing for me. Um, and that led me on this journey ended up... Um, leading to me to like a complete deconstruction of my faith. And the problem was um, the God that I had had known for, for the most part had been a spiritual God uh, up in heaven, uh, a moralistic God in, in some ways. And uh, the more I experienced God in ecology, it got to this point where the God I was seeing in nature outgrew the God that I had in Christianity. It was bigger then. And I went through this whole crisis of faith um, really doubting God entirely for for a season, uh, and it was because the definition or the, the the model of God that I was receiving from the church was not big enough for what I was seeing in the universe, and so I had to deconstruct, uh, which was a pretty rough process. But then rebuild a theology, rebuild a faith that was built on a God uh, that believed in a God who was incarnate, uh, a God that came into this world, a God that created um, and breathed His Spirit into this world and cared about the soil cared about people here and now um, and not just their souls but but their bodies in this world as well so I had to go through that process myself and it was really transformative and uh, and it changed the way that I lived and, and and viewed my role as a believer here and now and so I'm in a way in a, in a much simpler form I'm, I'm teaching that same theology in in, our, in the way I've designed this program for our farmers mm. in Rwanda that's cool that's really interesting to hear about that sounds like that sounds like a really interesting process going through that and quite a quite a journey. Um, I had a question, but it totally slipped my mind. Josh, do you have any thoughts? You've been pretty quiet over there. Yeah, no, I'm just taking it all in, man. I think it's so cool because, um, I mean, we've we've touched on it a little bit in 
um, some of our different episodes, but a lot of the kind of stuff that Matt is yeah. talking about um, are a lot of the same kind of thoughts that I've you know been having recently and exploring. Um, so it's just I'm just more so like excited to hear someone else articulate thoughts that I've yeah. had <laughs> in a way that in a way that is is good and I think um, understandable and it's really cool uh, to see that um, that like Matt takes it seriously enough that like he has formed a ministry around that in a super practical way. Yeah. So I, I'm just more awestruck than anything. That's why I'm. Yeah. Being quiet. No, that's really good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kind of soaking it all in. Uh, I, I just think it's it's super yeah. cool. Um, but you you mentioned a little bit or or, or talked about um, kind of some like anthrop uh, anthropology type type things earlier. Do you want to to talk about that a little bit? Sure, sure. Um, so yeah, by by anthropology or a theology of anthropology, I should say I'm I'm really just ripping off a friend of mine who uh, I, I listened to a great sermon by him just a week ago. So this stuff's all still circling around in my head. Um, just this idea of recognizing who people are um, in their their role in in creation and and our the role of of people in this 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 three way relationship between God, people, and creation. That people are part of creation. All of creation that um, was created um, by God and for God, but this way that God, you know, Hebrews talks about like God breathing His Spirit into Adam, the soil, uh, or into Adama, like He breathing His Spirit into Adam, like man was soil with God's breath put in it. That we are part of hmm. creation, raised up from it, and given this special role not to dominate it. I think there's a um, What's the anthropocentric? I'm messing that up. This, uh, this i, this idea that creation was made for people, um, and and I think that's not entirely untrue, but it is a it is a half truth at best. Um, but that God created creation for Himself for His own glory, and then when He calls us, He calls us in as stewards. Um, to we translate that dominate a lot of times, and I think that's a pretty poor translation. And, and there's there's enough evidence, I think, in the language, but I'm not a Hebrew expert. I'm not going to pretend I am here. Um, that that steward or, or caretakers is much yeah. better. Like dominate in the same way that like, or, or steward really being the better word. Like if I uh, if I leave my children with a babysitter, I'd rather them not describe that relationship as we're here to dominate your children. I don't think that's what I think that's more what God had in mind was. Um, I'm leaving this in your care to. Um, to see it thrive and and the way that I think God placed people um, over and within creation to um, for its thriving for its success there are very few cases of this that we can look to now where humans have a positive relationship with the environment but um, historically or maybe even ancient history we can we can see this I know I got to study in Australia for a semester um, and that's an interesting history where when we ran when the Western, when the colonizers ran Aboriginals off of the land, the land died behind them. And most of Australia is a desert now, but it wasn't always that way. People were actually a vital part of the ecosystem there. Um, they cared for it and provided for its health and did what was necessary for it to thrive. And they were aware of it. It was something that was very intentional and a part of the uh, the Aboriginal culture in in Australia. But that we have this this role as caretakers, and that's pretty central to who we are and that theology is lost in a lot of places. America certainly not not being um, 
an exception to that, looking hmm. at the way that we treat it here. And it's really sad to me, uh, and I think a real, just an evidence of this dualism and this poor theology, that American Christians do not uh, do not visibly yeah. care at all about the environment. If they do, it's just for the sake of the people on it, which is great that we, which of course, <laughs> yeah. we're called to care for people. But the idea that we should love the land itself is is pretty yeah that's that's definitely true i think in american christian culture the environment has definitely taken kind of a at least at the very least a back seat um but and i i loved what you you touched on just a minute ago i was actually listening to a podcast with a i know josh that you've heard this name but matt have you ever heard of michael horton He's a, he's a reformed theologian. He teaches at a Westminster Seminary of in California. Of course he's a reformed And I was listening theologian. to a podcast with him, and he actually <laughs> and touched on that exact same thing you touched on, though, how in some ways the creation was created to support us uh, and, like, for us, but in but at the same time, we're also responsible for stewarding the creation and caring for it. And so it's it's not a one-way relationship. It's a it's a two-way relationship where the creation supports us and we get to enjoy the goodness of creation. Uh, but we also need to steward it and care for it well. So I just thought that was a funny connection uh, coming from a Reformed guy and then just a totally different area. But speaking of Reformed theology, I don't know if Josh told you at all. I'm oh, I'm, no. I'm a Reformed guy. I'm a, I'm a PCA guy, what, fan of the Westminster Confession, all that. Uh <laughs> But I was just curious, in your work at all, talking to farmers, uh, have you ever looked kind of at theology of vocation like a th- in, in, in that area? Because I think the mm. Reformation specifically had a lot to offer Christianity when we look at a theology of vocation. Because in, in the medieval Catholic Church, it was kind of like the situation you're describing where the clergy and monks and... And people who had religious vocations were viewed as better Christians. Like, if you want to be a truly spiritual person, you need to have a religious vocation. And when the Protestant Reformation came along, it kind of reclaimed ordinary work as holy. It reclaimed ordinary work as something that glorifies and honors God. So I was just curious if that's something you've uh, used or thought about in your ministry at all. Yeah, I mean, a theology of vocation is... is absolutely relevant and something that we address a lot like i said pastors in rwanda are really highly venerated but farmers live in in shame and so our program we teach over and over again i mean our core belief that all of our farmers can can recite is that farming is a ministry to god our neighbors and the land itself um Mm. they'll repeat it in kenya rwanda but they can they can repeat it um so that is it. We teach that their day-to-day lives, their vocation is ministry, that they were not called to the gospel to be um, passive recipients, but rather active participants mm. in the gospel. That, um, you know, as the scripture says, we're saved for good works, prepared in advance for us. And that's not just leading people to the Lord, um, but a, a cobbler is, is worshiping God by making a beautiful shoe, whether or not it has little Jesus fish carved into the heel of it. Um, that's absolutely central to, to what we teach. And that's a hard thing for our our farmers to accept and believe, but it's a really, I mean, it's a, it's a message of, of hope and encouragement and, and dignity to our farmers that you're called to something great, that God cares about your soil. God cares about your family so much so that he has sent hmm. you to show his love. And that's to show good, his man. Awesome. There. That's, that's really cool to hear. Um, so one other question I had just since I'm like the, since I'm the reformed guy, I guess I get to be the mean one and push back a little. But I'm not trying. I'm not trying to antagonize mean. you at all. I just want. I just thought this might be an interesting point of discussion. 
Um, but when you when you talk about participating in the gospel, that's that's language I've heard even in some like quasi reformed circles a lot lately. Um, and I think mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think I would disagree with the concept that it represents, but I've always been concerned about that language specifically participating in the gospel because the concern it raises for me is that it might take away from the idea of Christ's finished work being sufficient for our reconciliation with God. So I was just curious, like, is that something you've thought about at all? Cause I've heard you use that phrase a few times. It seems like it's a key phrase for you. Is that something you've thought about or, or how do you think about that phrase? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sitting on my phone right now seeing if I can pull this up and sound real smart by, uh, by referencing the scripture and I don't, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if I'm going to get there. So the real, I mean, the real rebel, rebellious guy who you have to, uh, you're going to have to put up with if you got a problem with that is Paul. <laughs> um, and I get Paul, man, you got to work around Paul a lot. And uh, let's see. <clears throat> Paul says in Colossians 1.24, I'll be totally clear for those of y'all who, who aren't looking at my face right now that I am on my phone and I just Googled this. I, this is not a passage <laughs> I committed to memory. But Paul says in, uh, no in Colossians one twenty four, I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. Um, so I'm not the first one to come up with this idea of participating participating in the gospel. Now, what I mean in that, um, what I mean when I'm saying participating in the gospel is that if God's work is to restore and when i say the gospel what i mean is the active ongoing work of god working through christ to restore creation to this right relationship that salvation is something that is happening that we have a role to play in that we are the uh we are the ones bringing that message and not just that message to tell people we're the ones doing that work in a big way um Mm -hmm. no i'm i'm not expecting this um an immunitized eschaton if we're on a, a theological podcast i'll pull out the big guns um where, where god's kingdom is going to be fully realized here but i do believe and perhaps controversially that we can do work here physical work that when when heaven comes and things are tried by fire um can can survive that fire i do believe i think a painter here can paint a painting that might survive that fire and could be with us in in the new heaven and the new earth i and i have presented this idea to my farmers like what if we design a farm that is so full of truth and beauty and so aligned with with the gospel and the work that god is doing here that we could walk <laughs> in that garden with jesus when the new heaven and the new earth come that it could survive that fire and we could be walking the same path we might even sit under the shade of the trees you're planting yeah. now in the new and, heaven and the new earth and i, I knew actually i, loved I don't for a reason. so the interesting thing is i don't actually <laughs> disagree with a lot of what you just said i actually agree with a lot of it um and I, I do agree that the work we do now matters and and will last into eternity because I don't I don't think that it's going to be like total clean slate right in Revelation it talks about the kings of the earth kind of bringing in their treasures into the New Jerusalem and so I think there is that idea that like the good the good things we do on this earth a lot of that will carry over into the new heavens and new earth um I guess the the only the only like question I had about that phrase. Um, but participating is, I, I guess I, I would tend to prefer something more like living out the implications of the gospel or something like that. And maybe I'm just being too picky. Um, but because, because as a reformed, as a good reformed boy, I'm very concerned, uh, to make sure that we're clear (laughs) that Christ's work was sufficient for 
our justification for reconciling us to God, for restoring that relationship. And now the work we're doing is important, and it is, in a broader sense, part of our salvation, uh, but it's building upon like what Christ has already secured. It's not securing our salvation or securing our relationship with God. No, and I think you probably are um, <clears throat> finding what is a, a okay. difference you and I would have in our theology. Uh, I've I've come to be far more, I don't know where I fall these days. It's hard enough <laughs> for me to call myself a Christian on most days. I'm working this, working this stuff out, but <clears throat> I do like, I find myself really favoring a mm. more, more Catholic idea of um, just mm. putting more weight in sanctification. So justification maybe not being at, justification can be a, a complete thing, but salvation may be having more to do with sanctification than I was led to believe growing up mm. uh, in, in the tradition I grew up in. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll spare throwing anybody under the bus. But yeah, I do. I do put more weight in uh, in the importance of, of sanctification as as the work of the gospel, as the ongoing work of salvation. So when we talk about working out our salvation with fear and trembling, um, I mean, I think we probably are just getting yeah, something. That yeah, I think, and I think we're going to disagree on. See, Andy, I told you I'm not and the I only think we person might even, that thinks this way. If we were to get into it, I think you, <laughs> we might even define. If we're to strictly define the gospel, we might even define it a little differently it seems like but that's okay because that's the whole point of this podcast josh absolutely <laughs> and josh i gotta say i don't i don't know if me agreeing with you is really something to celebrate <laughs> i don't have a whole lot of confidence in my own theology oh, dude. so uh that's really the core yeah. of my theology personally these days is as long as everything is still up uh up in the air I, i'm really to have and that's why I, i'm really thankful to know about this podcast as long as we can still have conversations and come to things open-minded as long as people are willing to be wrong mm. um then I'm, I'm happy to have that conversation but between the i'm gonna say the like hardcore fundamentalist and uh and the atheist neither of them am i really interested in yeah in having a conversation with about this yeah. stuff. but anybody in between any any different uh tradition and for that sake even outside of the outside of the christian faith i'm happy to talk to a, a muslim a buddhist a hindu anybody who isn't positive that they have it all figured out i would love to enter into a conversation with in hopes that we can spur each other on in the journey but um but anybody who's positive that they are right is i just have no interest in uh, in, i don't want them to ruin the journey for me right because the question i like questioning i don't want them to give me all the answers yeah i think it's good i I appreciate that we can have we can have convictions and we can disagree and we can still come together and talk about it in a way that's you know constructive not angry. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, I think it's really cool too because I don't know if I've I've said it on here or if I if we talked about it in the very first episode or not when we were kind of explaining why we did this. But like I think that it's important that like our theology uh, is more, I guess, fluid almost. Where that like as we experience different things or or you know God speaks to us differently or we. Um, you know, grow to be more like Christ um, or sanctification since we're on a theology podcast, whatever, (laughs) Um, that it's okay to uh, be a little bit more loose with things. I mean, I, you know, all my friends will say I'm pretty opinionated. I just say I'm passionate. Um, (laughs) But I think I'm like, it's been helpful for me because I more recently have been able to kind of... um, instead of like clenching things, I guess you use like a hands metaphor, instead of like clenching things so tightly, kind of be willing to like slowly loosen things up a little bit. Um, 
just to kind of see uh, what I can learn or, or what, you know, God has to teach me, uh, whether that's through, you know, the Bible or, um, you know, prayer or meditation, like Christian music or just conversations like we're having right now. Uh, I think it's super yeah, important and, I think, and really cool. I, so. And I might even differ with you guys some on some of this being just being where I am theologically. But I, I think even for me, I do have core truths that I'm very convicted on that. I, I think there's very little chance that are wrong because, yeah, sure. because I'm so convicted about them. But I, but I still think it's important for us to have this <laughs> kind of open conversation in a respectful way. Even, even if we do have core convictions that we're, that we're pretty certain about that we disagree on. Um. Sure, and I and I think a lot of core convictions too, man. I mean, are going to be pretty. Some of them will be similar. Well, maybe not all of them, but a lot of the the yeah. major ones would be pretty similar. Christian Otherwise, podcast. it wouldn't be a quote unquote Christian. <laughs> that's, podcast. that's a fair point. <laughs> um, Who's that Jesus guy? Sorry, we don't like podcast? we don't oh. like labels. <laughs> what did y'all invite me here for? <laughs> yeah. We we don't want to label it. Yeah, we're millennials, so we <laughs> don't quote, like. Labels. Who's that Tommy Laren or whatever her name is? Who says that? That. Oh uh, man, I can't I believe well, we just said her name now on it's our out podcast. There. Um, sorry. Well, now we're gonna have hey. a whole new crowd um, come check us out. So, so to that's bring fine. it back a little bit, as we're kind of, I think we're we're getting near our time limit. Um. I want to just hear from you, Matt, a little bit about what are some of the big takeaways, even if they're obvious, if they're super obvious, that's fine. But what are some of the biggest takeaways uh, that you've had from your time in ministry in Rwanda that you would want to give to Christians in America? Hmm. Um, that's a challenging from time, from time in Rwanda, big takeaways. Um, I mean, like I said, I think, Part of the thing that was surprising to me was realizing that while it looks really different, I, theologically, like in the church, the work that I'm doing there is not any different from the work that I was doing here as far as what I felt like was really the problem. So I, I mean, I don't do a lot of preaching there, but we have, preach, we have an English service, but not, not with our farmers, not in our program. I'm actually quite removed from it now. So I design the program, I write curriculums, but I stay pretty removed because we're working to build dignity into this. Um, just having a white guy in the room isn't that beneficial. <laughs> um, so, yeah. but the fact that the the program is being is being built on the same as- assumption, and it, it was surprising for me to be like this see, to see this as the theological issue that needed to be addressed there, and design this whole program around it. And then I'd come back to the states for furlough for fundraising, and I'd be preaching at churches, and I'd realize I am preaching the exact same thing in different words. It materializes really different, but we are—it's we, the same thing here. This idea that I have a, a a religion that is spiritual and that affects this part of my life, but that has no play on this part of my life. It it should have no overlap on what how I pursue my career, on how I vote. Like that, the idea that you could have politics that are not related to your theology is just—you must—it—it's just an indication of. A really really weak theology uh, if, if you can can have a theology that doesn't apply to your daily life and how you interact with your community so that was that's one takeaway uh, another one quite quite different um, but but practical nonetheless is it's just living in living in Rwanda living in Africa in general in a, in a culture that is you know struck by poverty lives in, in poverty and just has a lot less stuff I come back to the States and I was aware of this stuff. I was pretty jaded beforehand, but it is really hard for me to come back to the States 
without being overwhelmed by the consumption that that is just life in America. And you get desensitized to it and it starts to feel normal. But for anybody who's seen the movie Wally, when they're up on the <laughs> ship and there's the people who like, they've been on this spaceship, if you haven't seen it, they've been on this spaceship for like 700 years. It's run by robots and they're like these, it's a cartoon by the way. Um, <laughs> they're these like super fat people in these like floaty chairs who have machines that bring them drinks like right up to their mouth and there's just TVs and advertisements all around them. And when you see it in Wally, you see, oh, this is absurd and disgusting and these people aren't even living their own lives or just existing in this machine. I feel like I come back to America and I see things that way. Like it looks like that to me with coming in with a bit with what you could call fresh eyes. And, and it's disturbing to me, especially just the way that, especially to look at the church um, that just, it, it just seems to largely be oblivious to their faith has nothing to do with their consumption. And I'm not like, I'm not removed from this, this problem at all. I'm not without, without guilt in, um, in just over consumption and not being aware of the, the lasting effects of that or just the, the, the fact that we live on a finite planet that has a lot of poor people yeah. who don't have enough. But it is really, really shocking to come back and really sad for me to see Christians no different from the rest of the culture in, in view of consumption. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's a, that's a really good point, I think, that kind of brings us back to the whole reason that we're doing this podcast, right, is that at the end of the day, theology does really matter, and it really does affect your day-to-day life. It affects how you live. And so as Christians, uh, we're called both to have good theology, but also then to apply that theology to how we're living our lives. Yeah, if we, I mean, what is it? it it's a common Bible verse, like knowledge just puffs up kind of thing. So like just, just if you know theology or you know about God or you know about, you know, whatever, the Westminster Confession or you have the, you know, Sermon on the Mount memorized, whatever, if you just have that knowledge and don't do anything with it, it's useless. And it clearly hasn't had an impact or transformed you. It's yeah. just knowledge. Yeah. Yeah, it's that kind of like the classic contrast between knowledge and wisdom in Scripture, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, There's absolutely. a big difference between between knowing something and, and like really knowing something in a way that's more than just intellectual, but in a way that affects your life. And then if you get into a euf- uh, euphemisms in the Bible, knowing somebody means something totally different. It does. <laughs> Which is, why, that. <laughs> which, is, which is why Romans 8 does not support an Arminian version of salvation. End of podcast. Oh, that's exactly right. <laughs> is that how that works? I'm going to have to look that one well, up. Well, because in Romans 8, 30-something, it says, like, those whom he foreknew, he predestined. And, you know, a lot of times people will say that, uh, we don't need to get into all this, but I'm just explaining why I said that. Because it's like foreknew means, like, oh, he knew what they would do beforehand. But actually, like in the bible to know someone means something very different it's much more intimate right so it's not talking about just nice anyway um that was just a joke that wasn't supposed to be like i was i was i was just making a joke i liked it um yeah so so any any parting thoughts from i guess from either of you guys just as we're wrapping up this episode uh any any final thoughts for for the listeners well, I'll let Matt go first, um, and then I have a question for that. you. Okay. Is there is there like anything that you didn't get to say, uh, or something that you wanted to mention that, you know, the floor is yours. The floor is yours. <laughs> Parting remarks. Open season. No, I mean, <coughs> pardon me. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of subjects we could talk about, but no, I um, 
let me think. Closing remarks. You know, just in in the existence of this podcast, in the in the spirit of what this podcast is and healthy discussion about theological things, I want to say to any Christians listening, particularly pastors or people in church leadership that might have influence over a culture of this, part of my spiritual journey, um, in like I mentioned, having to go through the season where I had to deconstruct my faith and rebuild it in this different way, um, that was really hard and painful because I felt like I didn't have a place in the church in that time. I didn't have the freedom to ask those questions and in fact so I had I had three days three days that I uh, lived as a as an agnostic like just have, I had to confess to my wife one morning that uh, and unfortunately pretty short before we were moving overseas to serve as Christian missionaries I had to confess <laughs> to my wife that I'm just not sure that I believe in this stuff anymore um, I feel like I still love God I don't feel like all that much has has changed in me I still love the church I'm still thankful for all this I just don't feel like there is like I really fit in the church I don't feel like there is a home for me mm. um and uh and I'm just not sure like this God that I like I mentioned this God that I saw in the church just didn't seem big enough for what I was seeing in the world and so I I ended up uh, for three days let go of any confidence in his existence at all and uh it was going in <clears throat> in that three days uh I happened the only book I happened to have on hand uh fortunately was um was some Thomas Merton, was some writings from Thomas Merton. And I read Thomas Merton. Uh, for anybody who hasn't read him, I, I, I really recommend checking out Thomas Merton. But that was, uh, I read him and the tradition that he's coming from. He was a Catholic guy and um, had, I think, were pretty radical ideas on contemplation and what it is to be a human and what the spiritual journey is supposed to look like. But I read that, I read some of his, his work and uh, I came out saying, well, if this guy can be a Christian, if there's a church that, uh, that this guy can fit in, then maybe there's room for me. Because I resonated with a lot of the stuff that he said, but I felt like I didn't have in the churches that were around me. I didn't. I couldn't have asked those questions. I couldn't have said those things. So just letting the church be a place where people are allowed to doubt and ask questions. Um, I think have have doctrines that you live on, like have convictions that you. This is how we practice, but um, but don't put those in so in stone that we can't doubt it. We can't ask questions because um, I really I needed to be in a place where I could say is there really a God and if there is is Jesus really his son um, and I didn't feel like there was a community where I could do that and if it weren't for a couple podcasts that really drew me in and some books and a couple Christian friends of mine on the fringes I think I'd have very likely uh, left the church entirely so yeah if you're in a place where you can can influence that culture foster your church into a place where questions are allowed and share everything. I mean, I think all theology should start with, uh, and you'll disagree me with, with me on this on it, but I think the best theological statements start with, I don't know, maybe, <laughs> maybe it's this. And I try to foster that into my children, teach them uh, a, a magic and mystery about the world and let everything be maybe this. So like my four-year-old believes in fairies and that's my doing because um, I want her to, I want her to believe in magic. I want her to believe in mystery. I don't tell her any of this stuff for, for true. And even when we talk, when I talk about faith in God with my daughter, I'll tell her, this is what, this is what daddy thinks. Um, this is what, what I think it is. And what do you think? And if she doesn't agree with me, if her theology isn't worked out at four and a half years old, I, <laughs> I let that stand. Um, and we'll just keep talking about what could be. And uh, I think that's, I think the best that theology has to start and end with a question mark. So you guys can disagree with me and, uh, and I'm glad that this is a podcast where at least those questions are allowed, but, but thanks for doing what you're doing. I think this is really important for the church. Josh, you said you had a question, right? 
Yeah, I just I just wanted to know just for uh, our listeners' sake if there was any like um, like a website or any kind of online resources that we could point them to if to learn more about what you're doing or to you know provide support or, or whatever that might look like. And we could probably even drop it in the show. Yeah, notes I'll, I will drop it in the show notes. But if you have if you have anywhere people can access that, that would be awesome. Of course. Yeah, I mean, I'm in America doing fundraising right now, so you just asked the magic question. I'm going to lean into the mic and spell this out clearly. Um, yes, yeah, so you can see about our work and our model, which we are now exploring as a, as a global model to be implemented by other churches and other mission agencies nice. around. So if you're interested in, try, in, uh, in more about what we're doing or how it might serve in a ministry that you're involved in, or if you or your church or your business would be... Uh, this is something that you might, that sounds intriguing to you, or you believe that the work we're doing is important. We absolutely need finances to keep moving forward. So with no further ado, the website <laughs> is www.sowersofhopeafa.com. That's AFA for Agri-Faith Association. So I'll say that again, www.sowersofhopeafa.org. Sorry. Dot org. Take that back. Okay. Org. Org. We're not... a. a commerce thing all right right, so so we will be i will throw that in the podcast description so if any of you listeners are interested in checking that out seeing more about what they're doing or supporting uh you can find the link there um matt thank you so much for being on the podcast i really appreciate getting to talk to you today oh thank you guys this has been a blast yeah 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 it was pretty cool just i don't think we mentioned it but this was like super spur the moment uh you know i saw that Matt was around and he actually happened to be at PBA, which is uh, the university I was talking about earlier, which is super close to where I live. Um, and so it just worked out. We, we'll say it was predestined. I for would you. say it was predestined. As I believe, Josh, in a previous episode, you classified this sort of thing as a God thing. A God thing. That's what yeah. you said you would say, right? Oh, that's a God yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I like it. All right, good. Well, thank you so much for listening to Theology Doesn't Suck with us today. Um, If you have any questions, comments, thoughts, episode ideas, rants, if you want to uh, put me on blast for being too mean to Matt or if you want to attack Matt for (laughs) um, being mean to to Americans, um, (laughs) then you can visit our website, theologydoesn'tsuck.com. And you can contact us through our page, which this is going to be a surprise, but it's the contact us page. So you can check what? that out. No way. Uh, you can also listen to past episodes on there. You can also connect with us on Instagram. We're on Instagram at theology doesn't suck. Uh, we will do our best to get back to messages there. It won't be as consistent as the website, though. So if you really want to reach us, go through the website. Um, thank you so much for listening. And we hope you will join us again next week. Thank you.